Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. This is one of those Sundays of the church year that we have kind of in the middle of this Trinity season where our Lord speaks harsh words. And in this reading from Luke 19 today, it's an indictment against the people of Jerusalem. It's an indictment against the Jews. Jesus came. They rejected him. We know he is the Prince of Peace. But the city of peace, Jerusalem, Shalom, the word for peace, the city of peace, sought violence. So Jesus went on to say what would be their fate and the fate of the temple. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Well, what Jesus said came true. He's Jesus. That happens. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was sieged. Now, interestingly, one thing which was included in some hymnals, the LCMS included in that back in the day, was an account by the Jewish historian Josephus about the destruction of Jerusalem. It's very vivid. And even Johann Sebastian Bach wrote a cantata about this event. There's a whole cantata. You can Google it and go on YouTube. Um, and there are some English translations of it, too. Now, of course, nowadays, people then try to read back into those things, right? Bach's cantata, they think, was anti-Semitic, that it fed fuel to the fire of Adolf Hitler and, well, you know the history of Germany and the Jews. But the reason those, these things were produced and included in the life of the church, in the life of God's people, was because this warning to the Jews by Jesus about what would happen and did happen is something that we also need to listen to. Because rejecting Jesus, it should go without saying, is a deadly serious thing. So time and again, Jesus warns against this, that one is either for him or against him, that there's no middle ground, there's no fence setting, and he's even vivid when he says that the lukewarm, that is, those who are neither hot nor cold, he will vomit out of his mouth. So it's eternally serious, and we need to hear it. We need to understand it. So in this case of the siege of Jerusalem and the fall of the temple, that prophecy of Jesus in history speaks volumes to the church through the ages and to you today. So it's no wonder then, like even in music with Johann Sebastian Bach, they produced works surrounding it. Now rejecting Christ, though, has a promise. God's law has promises attached to it when it pronounces God's judgment. Now we understand that's different, though, than the gospel and its promises. But law and gospel must be rightly divided, for this is rightly handling the word of truth as the scriptures teaches. Now, C.F.W. Walther, the first president of our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, famously lectured on the topic of the proper distinction between law and gospel. If you've been in the LCMS long enough, you've probably heard that phrase in his name at least one time or more. And so much so that every LCMS pastor has read, or is supposed to have read, some of those lectures... Um, uh, as he learns how to preach and what will be his pastoral care. And we're always reviewing those at pastor's conferences and any number of things. 
And in his first thesis about law and gospel, and in one early lecture, he would, all the students would gather at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and he would lecture there. And he had a standing rule that anytime he said something in one of his lectures, that if somebody questioned it, that he would be able to produce the source and reference of something that he made. He was known then to, from his head, recall then and switch either into Latin or any number of things. He lectured in German and then those things that he could produce, the source, quite something that we sadly can't do today necessarily. But in that lecture, he said this, third, law and gospel differ by the promise held out by each doctrine. What the law promises is just as great a blessing as what the gospel promises, namely everlasting life and salvation. But there is a huge difference. All the promises of the law are made on certain conditions, namely that we fulfill the law perfectly. Accordingly, the greater the promises of the law, the more disheartening they are. The law offers us that food, but not close enough for us to reach it. Indeed, it says to us, I will quench the thirst of your soul and satisfy hunger. But the law is not able to accomplish this because it always adds, all this you will have, but only if you do what I command. Think about the rich young man. Do this, and you will live. And then he went home, sad because he had many possessions. Now that Old Testament reading from Jeremiah, connecting us to the gospel reading and this whole understanding of what God's law teaches us, attaches a promise to it. God says, how can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them. Therefore, I will give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors, because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. So boiling it all down to, it comes to your playground theology, right? Somebody hits you, and then you say, I'm going to get you. Is that a threat? No, that's a promise. So God promises punishment for breaking his commandments. Breaking his word is a serious thing. And now in the gospel reading, here's Jesus. He's looking over the city. He had been promised to them. He had come to their midst. He was looking over it. He is the embodiment of peace itself. And they rejected him. They stand outside of God's kingdom. And even to this day, it's always worth saying on this Sunday of the church year, modern-day Jews are not a part of the kingdom of God. They do not have salvation. But it's not just them. Anyone who stands outside of Christ in unbelief is not a part of God's kingdom. Only faith in Christ is one saved and does one have eternal life. There's no exceptions. There's no uh, loophole for God's Old Testament people who rejected him now. Don't believe those lies that you hear on TV or the other media that still want to claim the Jews are God's people. That's false teaching. seems like every year when this comes up, I get more comments on this Sunday of the church year than any others because we always hear that all around us, right? God has a special place in his heart for the nation of Israel. Well, he loves all people, but reject him and you stand outside of his grace. And so God then says that in the epistle reading. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? 
that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not exceed, succeed in reaching it, that law. So he's saying, so the Gentiles who weren't following that law of God, they are part of God's kingdom because of faith? And he's saying, yeah, because the Jews started following it in regards to works. He says, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in me will not be put to shame. So what does all this mean? Well, for you people of God, sitting here in Keystone, Iowa, not in first century Jerusalem, you look at what Jesus teaches you, and you see that warning, a visible warning, of the rejecting Jesus in your own life and in the world. And like that epistle reading last week, we learn from those examples of what not to do. We learn and we see those things, and we examine our life in this world, and we see where we have sinned against God, and we see the threats of his commandments and the promises that he does not hold one guiltless who stands outside of Christ and we repent. And we know that God is no liar. But you see, here's the thing in all of this. And this is where there is great comfort. Jesus looked over to Jerusalem and wept. But what's coming up in the rest of Luke's gospel? He's coming to die. To take your sin upon himself. And to rise again and give you new life. So as you are baptized into Christ, you have peace. And that's real peace. The peace of Jesus that he's given to you through faith in him. Because his blood has atoned for your sin. Jesus did live out God's perfectly. Do this and you will live. Jesus lived that. And he is the one who went to, in your place to suffer God's wrath against your sin. For that which you rightly deserve, eternal death and hell. But you see, you do know that righteousness of God because you know Jesus. He's your Lord, and you're his children. And that righteousness of your Savior is your righteousness through faith in him. So on that day, Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he wept. And God looks at you. But what does he see? Well, he's not weeping, but he's rejoicing. Because he's redeemed you, and you're covered with the blood of Christ. So he sees you as his own dear child and an heir of eternal life, all on account of Jesus crucified and risen for you. And so that's your mind and that's your life as you go through this world and which, as you view what you see around you. And you know what? You have peace. Be at peace and find comfort in Jesus who has lived, died, and is raised for you. The stone that the builders rejected has become your cornerstone. And your cornerstone isn't going anywhere and your cornerstone isn't going to crumble because you are God's people. You have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and together you are the body of Christ. And so that means no destruction will befall you. Your Lord has paid for it all. The antiphon of the intro, it is comforting as it says, I call to God and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And so that's the joy that you have as a Christian. That's the consolation of Christ, the one who truly has made peace between you and God, even unto life everlasting. The one who hears and answers your prayers. The one who knows you and visits you, even as he's with you in his own word and sacraments this very day, dwelling in your midst, not with weeping, but with rejoicing and forgiveness and life eternal. 
the one who even on the day of your death speaks that word of peace and gives you life and on that final day looks over your grave and says rise and as you will rise from your grave to be with him and know that eternal peace that knows no end as we sang in that hymn a few minutes ago so the law does has its promises to be sure but you see the promises of the gospel are given to you without condition they are given solely by god's grace and christ alone to you god has done it it's been paid you're forgiven and you have eternal life so let those promises ring out today and every day as you behold jesus crucified and risen for you and cling to him through his word and sacraments and fear not what befell jerusalem for your jerusalem is above and that jerusalem will not end but will be your dwelling place with christ and all of his saints a place of peace forever amen